Welcome back to the Ramble Room here on the Independence Network. It's good to have you. So during this next hour, we've got two shows for you. One is a brand new show and one is a replay. The first one, last night on Facebook Live, a number of the Wyoming Freedom Caucus ladies got together and held a town hall, and I want to share that with you. The second part, some of you may remember G.R. Mobley specializes in constitutional issues, and he's giving some background on what we're trying to do with what was then House Bill 212. Uh, This is the bill that we call Wyoming Sovereignty. Basically, what we're trying to do is to limit federal overreach. What's happening down in Rock Springs with the BLM is a classic example of what this bill is designed to do to give states, specifically in this case, the state of Wyoming, a path of recourse and of action to be able to take to try to negate the overreach of the federal government. I hope you enjoy this hour of the Ramble Room here on the Independence Network. That serves House District 3, which is Southern Campbell County. Representative Pepper Ottman with House District 34 from Northern Fremont County. Representative Sarah Penn from House District 33, Southern Fremont County, and Representative Tommy Strzok with House District 6 from Eastern Converse County. We have Representative Tamara Trujillo with House District 44, Southwest Cheyenne, and Representative Jeanette Ward from House District 57, Central Casper area. And I will be the facilitator tonight. I am Representative Rachel Rodriguez-Williams, and I serve House District 50. So again, tonight's subject is Wyoming removing our library system from association with the ALA, uh, known as the American Library Association. Um, As you might have heard over the past several years, we've seen a culture war developing in public and school libraries across the United States. And even though some of our colleagues and some lobbyists for those organizations say that those problems are not here in Wyoming, we have seen it. And this is definitely a Wyoming problem that deserves a Wyoming solution. And tonight we're here to talk about that. As people gain knowledge about how serious the problem is, they invariably find that the American Library Association is at the center of most of these controversies. It seems that once, that this once very helpful organization has taken on a cultural and political position that is contrary to a lot of parents across the country and their beliefs. A lot of parents in Wyoming are concerned about the influence of this organization in using it to push their own agenda. In October of 2022, the Campbell County Library disassociated with the ALA based on their constant promotion of books that sexualize children. Earlier this year, both Montana and the state of Texas remove themselves from any partnership or coordination with ALA based on their anti-capitalist and pro-Marxist agenda. During that, this time, other counties across the United States have also begun disassociating with the ALA for various reasons. In mid-August, members of the Wyoming Freedom Caucus called on Governor Gordon to withdraw from the Wyoming State Library and the state library system from their association with the ALA. The governor announced that he was sending a letter to the ALA asking them to explain their recent comments regarding these culture war issues. Over a month later, 
the governor of Wyoming has not notified our group, the Wyoming Freedom Caucus, or the media that he has received a response. We're going to talk more um, with each of the representatives that are serving on this panel today. I'm going to ask each of them a few questions, and I'm excited to hear their responses. We'll go ahead and um, begin with our first question. Um, so the chief executive of Wyoming, Wyoming governor, um, attacked the Wyoming Freedom Caucus by saying that our letter, which each of us signed, um, that asked him uh, to withdraw Wyoming from the ALA was simply us mothers and grandmothers being self-appointed morality police. What do you think of that? And I'd like to um, ask Representative Ward um, to respond specifically um, to the choice of words, morality police, that statement, and also to discuss some legislative efforts. Jeanette? I forgot to unmute myself. Thank you, uh, Representative Williams. Um, you know, the American Library Association is at least in part funded by tax dollars. And um, I don't think it's right for our tax dollars to support a position or things that the majority of the people who elected us do not support. I don't think our tax dollars should go to support things like uh, drag queen story hours, right? The majority of, our, of, of the people who elected, elected us don't support that kind of thing. So why should our tax dollars go to support that? The ALA receives grants and awards from government organizations. So they are at least in part funded um, by our tax dollars. Um, with respect to uh, legislative efforts, in the last legislative session, I brought House Bill 87, which um, would have removed the exemption for obscenity laws for uh, libraries and education institutions and museums. Um, it was defeated in committee unfortunately. And that's that's one of the reasons we need to get more conservatives as opposed to the purple liberal unit party elected in 2024. Thank you, Representative Ward. Um, so moving forward, um, the ALA has been the primary source that librarians look for for suggested book purchases. Um, it's It's been happening for centuries. In the last decade, they've stated that it is through their recommended lists that they would push an LGBTQ plus agenda. And with the selection of a vowed Marxist as their president, their new president, um, the newest agenda seems to be attacking cap capitalism. Do you believe that this organiza organization should be promoting anything other than good literary products? Um, Representative Ottman, if you would be willing to, to answer this question, um, what do you think their role should be? Can we do without the ALA in Wyoming? Well, Rachel and everybody, it's good to be here tonight. Um, what a very important question. The ALA was originally started in the 1800s for a very uh, specific purpose. And it was about 90 men and somewhere around 13 to 18 women that began this to train up women so that they could get into the workforce, that they, um, that they could learn trades and that they could learn things. 
And, and so it was very, very good. As it progressed into the 50s, um, it got more uh, open to things. And now we see with um, Marxist um, leadership that Marxism goes totally against Americanism, capitalism. In fact, um, China actually banned green eggs and ham because uh, it went against Marxist values. So we see that that to have someone in a leadership position that goes totally against um, our communities, our workforce, our families, it, it is not a good idea. I would also say that <clears throat> it's a precarious position because the ALA, uh, American Library Association, their budget is $55 million a year. So they supply a lot of money to a lot of different places. The thing is, though, is that they are not the only organization, <clears throat> excuse me, that helps. And we in the state of Wyoming also, through uh, our mill levies and things like that, help uh, our libraries. So I don't believe that the state would hold up or the libraries would. It would be a different look. Uh, our libraries are becoming very community oriented. They want to be community centers rather than places of learning. In fact, um, just to say what they've done is they've gone from a learning and training mindset into an office for intellectual freedom. And so there's no holes barred. And I think that's where we're running into a lot of our trouble. Thank you, Representative Ottman. I don't know if any of you had heard, but um, ladies, I had heard that the ALA president was an or is an active supporter and donor to the New York Democratic Socialists. And um, recently they held a pro-Hamas rally um, in the wake of the unprecedented attacks on Israel last week. Had anybody heard that? It's, it's mind-blowing. Um, but we'll go ahead and move along. Um, I'd like to get to Representative Penn. Thank you for joining us. Um, so what is the danger of sexualizing children early, at an early age? And do these books um, that have been challenged in many of the Wyoming school libraries, um, do they rise to the level of sexual sexualization um, that would be problematic? What are your thoughts? Um, Yes. Yeah, so thank you, Representative Williams, and thank you to all those who are watching um, and spending time, taking time out of their evening for this. So a short answer to that is the dangers of early sexualization are many. Let's start with um, the development of the brain. So our brains begin developing from the back and go to the front. So the, the last parts of our brain to develop is what's called the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex is in charge of tasks such as um, anticipating consequences, impulse control, uh, focusing attention. And so if those are one of the last things to develop, think, think of the prefrontal cortex as kind of the brakes to your brain. And so children and young adults don't have those brakes. So as a parent of young kids, I wouldn't put my kids that are learning to ride a bicycle on a brakeless bike at the top of a steep hill. I just know that the outcome is probably not going to be good. And we have a similar situation here. Um, children's brains are really sensitive to reward stimuli, which means that um, 
their behaviors become habitual very quickly. And so if we don't have breaks and we have, we, we, we create these habits rapidly, then we're setting these kids up for, for bad outcomes. We, and we already know this. That's why we have limits on ages. You know, you don't drive till you're 16. You don't drive at 10 because 10 year olds aren't developed enough to make those choices. We don't drive till we're 16. You can't purchase alcohol or tobacco products until 21 generally. In fact, the other day at the grocery store, I even had to take a picture of it. A uh, picture, you know, the little sign that we've all seen sitting on the desk that says, in order to purchase tobacco products, you have to have been born on or before this date. And it's 21. And yet we can still get our kids can have access to these sexually explicit materials way before that. Um, other things, you know, another thing has been said about uh, this stuff is accidental exposure to these things is one of the major on-ramps to introducing kids to pornography. And, and so it's just, you know, it doesn't have to be intentional. It's accidentally coming across these things that happen to be in the libraries where these kids ha- can get to them. Um, pornography has, has lots of other things. It changes kids' views on sex, can make it more violent, um, impersonal. It changes kids, uh, people's views, not just kids, but adults as well, people's views on on other people and their se- themselves as well. So it's kind of an objectification of others. Um, uh, teaches kids that consent is not necessary with regards to um, personal, in, you know, looking inward, what can it do to an individual? Um, there was a study done by the APA on women and it, and it found that early exposure of girls to sexualized uh, material is uh, associated with higher incidence of mental health problems, specifically depression and eating disorders and low self-esteem. So it's a big deal. Right now we're dealing with so many mental health issues can we be shocked with the stuff that's the, that our kids are exposed to? Um, it affects their quality of life, potentially. Um, there was a study on 14-year-old boys that said that the more use, they use porn, six months later, we saw that they had a decrease in their academic performance. And last but not least, um, this has the potential to harm other kids. Um, kids reenact the things that they see, and they will practice on other kids. Even the CDC lists on their website um, early exposure to sexualized material is a risk factor for predation. Um, there was a Swedish study on adolescent boys, again, that found that daily consumption of porno- uh, pornography was linked to increased interest, uh, interest in deviance and um, things of a an illegal nature. So the second half of your question, do our books rise to that level of sexualization? I would say yes. Um, you know, the Cowboy State Daily this summer did a, a good job. Claire McFarland on one of the books that's found readily throughout, unfortunately, throughout many of our library, school, and public. Um, and it, it's shocking to see what what's being put out for our kids. And and being a cartoon does not mean that it's not pornography. In fact, it might be worse for our kids because kids are drawn to cartoons and they think that it's a comic book or they think something and they're being exposed to these illicit, explicit materials. Um, and, you know, if I, I don't want to take too long, but just quickly, I want to throw out that parents, please be aware of what's going on in your school libraries with regards to Scholastic. So Scholastic has been around forever. I went to Scholastic book fairs as a kid. My kids bring home the flyers, um, but they are following this ALA agenda with pushing these LGBT themes. Last year, um, I think it was for Pride Month, they put out a big list of over 100 books that they prom- they're promoting that have have heavy LGBT themes, transgender themes, and things like that. Their CEO was proud to say that they um, 
support and work to amplify the voices of transgender and non-binary people. And so that is their agenda and they're not being shy about it. So please parents be, be aware of what's going on in your schools and talk to your, talk to your librarians and your principals and let's get that stuff out of there. It's, it's scary really what's going on. Thank you, Representative Penn. So I have one more question for you. Um, do you believe that the word grooming or the word groomer is appropriate for those who are making such books available to children in our schools and in our libraries, our public libraries? Um, if so, why? Well, yeah, you know, I, in effort to inter- to educate myself, I thought, okay, what what does grooming mean? And I looked it up and, and the definition of grooming means to prepare or train for a particular purpose or activity. Um, I looked at some counseling websites and some mental health sites to see, you know, like, what are they saying about grooming? And I mean, people, it's not difficult to find because this is a big issue. Um, but they point out uh, that it's, it's gaining trust to then manipulate. So it's kind of a preparatory process. You're working now for an end goal. And so, um, it's it's scary to see what's going on in our in our schools and and in our with these books and things like that because um it's you know it's it's difficult um the second half of that question is is this an appropriate term and i would say you know if the shoe fits wear it let's call a spade a spade here they're focusing on these kids because these are malleable targets these are kids that are still their brains are still developing they're easy targets they're still um, you know, getting through a lot of things in their lives. Um, but these these materials, these books, they are normalizing this behavior. And, and that's a dangerous thing. Um, so that as they get exposed to these things little by little, then if one of these events actually happens to them in real life, in a, in a real circumstance, then they've kind of lost that automatic reflex to say, whoa, no, because they've been taught that this is actually normal behavior when it isn't. It's less shocking. They're less, less likely to report it, to tell a parent, to the, you know, those types of things. Now, of course, not everybody's a predator. There's plenty of people that are simply buying into this um, woke ideology that says, oh, we, we just want to protect these queer and trans kids and teach them about their bodies and help them understand their circumstances and things like that. But, you know, I'd say, let's go back to that definition of grooming. This is a preparatory thing. So what's happening right now before, before our eyes is not the end goal here. Um, Again, we're normalizing this stuff. This is a conversation about what is age appropriate books in taxpayer entities. Um, and and let's be real. Some of these books have actual explicit instructions on how to how to engage in you know gay hookups without your parents knowing. How to clear social media or clear search histories on your computer. Um, what's in these materials is explicit and it's suggestive, and that leads one to want to see more and then to want to do more. Um, they're preparing these kids to be victims. Thank you, Representative Penn. That was. That was very well explained. Thank you so much. Um, So in Campbell County, there has been a lot of of, um, media coverage about what's happening over there um, with their their library uh, system. And they recently removed themselves from affiliating with the ALA. Um, And I'm really curious to know what has happened since then. Um, And 
we have a Campbell County representative with us, uh, Representative Angelos. Thank you for joining us. Maybe you can fill us in and give us an update. Thanks, Representative Rodriguez, and thanks for um, everybody being here. Um, there's so many great, great people on here who has a lot of knowledge and can, you know, and mothers and grandmothers that, you know, we can really give you that information. I'm, I'm really privileged to be here. So uh, Campbell County Library was the first to pull away, uh, cut ties with the ALA. They did that last year. And um, it was all over the headlines, all over the news. And uh, it, it wasn't because of the Marxist agenda, although that has um, just confirmed that for us. It, it was because of their policy of all um, all information for all ages. So there there was no protection of, of children or age appropriate material. Um, where I look at it is we have ratings on TV. We have ratings in movies. We have uh, parental guidance and explicits in music and in video games and why not in books. And so there, there's been a lot of discrepancy on how do you rate a book? Um, can books be moved? Should they have been moved out of the children's section? And so it was a big deal within the community. And ultimately, uh, the library director was fired in July recently. Uh, it was a 4-1 vote on our uh, library board and she was let go. Um, in that, uh, there's been a lot of, I'm sure you've heard, it's been all in the media. Um, she has come back and um, sued some of our community members for pointing out the refusal to move the books. And again, um, you know, being that it's free speech, we wanted the books moved out of the children's and the uh, teen section and put out of their hands. Um, we do understand that they want to have access. If, if a parent wants a child to have access to that, then that is a parent's choice. But as a taxpayer, I shouldn't have to pay for it. Does that, I mean, I think that's where we're all going. So with that, um, a couple of our community members that were sued um, are now being basically sued over freedom of speech. Um, I pulled up, you know, the actual Declaration of Independence, people, you should all have it. And, uh, you know, in our First Amendment rights, it says, and I'm just going to read the very last part because we all know most of it. Um, so abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. And that's really what the community members did. This is a, a publicly funded um, library with their tax dollars. And they went and said, I have an issue with books that are there. So with that, um, the Bennett family, three of those those members have been sued, and there is an actual legal fund set up to help them fight this. And, and it's it, it comes down to where it's going to affect us all if we do not stand up for our First Amendment rights. It's so interesting to me that we're fighting about First Amendment rights and books being moved and violating uh, directors' First Amendment rights. Well, we're violating the very people who come up and say, hey, I have a problem with this. My tax dollars are paying for it and I don't I don't appreciate it. We may not like how they say it, but that is a free country. You know, we cannot um thought police everybody and 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 police everybody on, on their beliefs either. But this is something that's a, just a general attack on our freedom of speech. So I'm gonna share with you if you would like to donate to um and we're gonna put it in the comments, you'll see it, but it is www.givesendgo Bennett Legal Fund. Bennett is spelled B-E-N-N-E-T-T, -T, Legal Fund. Um, if you are in Campbell County or in Gillette, you can see it right here. 
we'll put a link down in the comments too. You can also donate at Camp Co Credit Union. Um, there is a Patriot Defense Fund that you can go and fund. And again, this is just a stand up, standing up for all of us. And um, that's what's going on right now. They have hired a new director in Campbell County. Uh, he does not start until November. And we're, we're excited. Um, it was a group effort between a lot of the staff and the and the board, and we're really excited to have um, to move on. That I think that's what even the staff at the library, everybody's ready to move on. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Representative Angelos. Um, so, continuing with this discussion, lots of great information um, being presented here. Um, my next question is for Representative Trujillo, who joins us from Cheyenne. Um, what are other communities doing in regards to these sexual books uh, that are being available to children? Hi, thank you for the question. Mm -hmm. Hi, hi, ladies. Thank you for letting me join you guys in this discussion. There's actually quite a bit going on here in uh, Laramie County with school district number one. Um, let's see, I had to take a lot of notes. Uh, See, Laramie County is going through some big changes this year. The new school board of trustees are actively listening to the parents, students, and teachers. It's evident with the school board meetings these days. Um, their public comments have become more open to the community. The time has lasted longer, and if there's opportunity, um, they allow community members to step up and speak. Um, they have a new superintendent earlier at the beginning of the school year. Superintendent Crespo handed in her uh, letter of resignation. And we have Dr. Newton, who is currently the interim superintendent. And the school board is currently looking for a new superintendent. <laughs> uh, and he has actually been catching up really fast in his, his position as interim and addressing the concerns right now with our uh, revised policy of school um, library and media. And he's also looking into some safety concerns that the school district is having with our classrooms. Um, for the past couple of years, parents have been trying to voice their concerns over some of the material being put into the schools and the material that has been brought to everyone's attention through our state and through um, speaking at the school boards, these contain sexual explicit content. There is a handful of adults also claiming that these books are educational. And those concerns have also been taken into consideration with this new policy. The current policy that is in play right now in Laramie County um, is an opt-out scenario, which it doesn't really offer full transparency. Your child in this scenario has full access in all, to all available material on the shelf, whether it's appropriate or not. Only and unless a, a parent chooses to opt out, this, at this point, you have to go through the whole entire system and click, which is very cumbersome and not very user-friendly. So what the new process is gonna do is it's gonna bring attention to the parents and guardians um, as it is an opt-in policy. Okay, hold on, new process. It's a, it's a lot because there's four processes to this 
Um, with the new policy, there'll be four levels of access. One, which is no access to material containing sexually explicit content. Two, parent guardian limited access. Three, open access. And four, no access. I really encourage everybody to go to Laramie County School District website. They have a couple um, links that you can review the policy and what they're, um, how it's gonna be presented. Because in, in process of doing this, they also had to come up with definitions. Uh, we, I know we tried to put in some definitions in Jeanette's uh, representative wards, Bill didn't make it pass where we needed it to. So um, Laramie County District 1 decided to take it upon themselves and come up with their own definitions. Um, those had to deal with sexually explicit content and sexual conduct. Those are the two that they had to come up with. Um, so if you want to know what those are, those are also on the website and the links are on there. And they're taking open comment till November 10th, 4 p.m. So we are in the final process of this process going into effect for Laramie County School District 1 next school year. Representative uh, Trujillo, thank you very much. It's so great to hear some positive um, movement within the school district. Um, the, that's excellent, um, an excellent update. Thank you. You know, um, just to just to finish up on that with with the comment as like book banning um, in this process, there are no books that have been banned. What what part of the process is there? It's just like the movies, right? You have the rated G, PG. That's how they're rating the books. So if there's books in elementary school that need to be moved up, they're just going to go to junior high or high school. They're just going to the appropriate age location. Um, and they're not going to be segregated in the actual library where they're at. So it's not like they're going to be like, okay, here's the section where we have rated our books. You know, it's that's that's not the case. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, thank you again for, for answering that difficult question. And it's always good to hear what's happening across the state in different um, school districts. Um, so moving forward, um, we're going to hear from Representative Strzok next. Um, this past session, we had several bill drafts um, on this topic of, of obscenities and, and um, dealing with the sexualization of children. And now we're talking about the ALA specifically. Um, just curious what your thoughts are, Representative Strzok. Um, what can we do moving forward? Well, thank you very much. Um, what I would like to say is that we just really need to urge our local board to disaffiliate with the ALA, sorry, ALA, and then urge our governor to give us updates about his letter to the ALA and urge him to leave the organization. And I think the biggest thing is if we really, each one of us has to get involved. If it isn't in our local library, in our schools, and just stay, you know, get involved in the boards, go to the meetings. And I think I know everyone feels like there's so many meetings we have to go to, but um, if it's, it's very important to be protecting our children 
And so if we would get involved in all of these different boards and just be writing letters to governors, staying involved in it, in the, involved in the fight. So thank you. Thank you, Representative Strzok. And thank you for, um, for taking the initiative and getting involved in your community. It's, it's a joy to have um, more women in the house, um, conservative women specifically. And um, I really appreciate each and every one of you taking the time this evening to, to answer these questions that we've posed to you. Um, but we do have quite a few viewers on Facebook um, and I would love to take one or two questions um, and, and see if uh, one of you are willing to answer it. So um, Jesse, if you are on, we've got two folks that are helping us with IT efforts. That's Representative John and, and Jesse, if you can um, let us know what, what question is pending out there. Yeah, so um, one question that I see is, how can we ensure that no taxpayer dollars go to the ALA? Okay, uh, Representative Ward, you wanna take a shot at that? Sure. Thanks, Rep. Williams. Um, you know, most of the taxpayer funding for the ALA comes at a federal level, um, but we can certainly prevent uh, state funds from going to the ALA by passing a law. Um, and I would be a full-on supporter of a law that would prevent any of our state funds uh, from going to the ALA. I also wanted to just take a second to talk about the, the book bans question. We are not advocating banning books. These books are available in the marketplace. What we're saying is you don't get to purchase porn with our tax dollars. If you want to purchase porn, do it with your own money. Great response. Thanks for willing to answer that. So that is it for this evening. Um, again, it has been a real pleasure to have each and every one of our um conservative female representatives uh, from the House join tonight and talk about this really important topic. Um, if you as a viewer have any questions specifically for any of the reps that are um, participating in tonight's panel, uh, please look us up on the Wyoming legislative website and you can contact us through, um, through email or by phone um, or through social media if, if somebody hasn't. But again, thank you for joining us and um, please get involved and um, take a stand on this really important issue. Um, and again, as we always say, let's fight for Wyoming, America's last hope. Good night. The, the smart person would probably stand up on the floor and say, you know, near as I can tell, we're supposed to have a Republican form of government. And it seems like we have a party form of government or an alliance or a factional form of government where enough people politically can get together and decide to turn their back on the Constitution and do whatever they want. Yes, it is indeed the Ramble Room. The rumors of our demise have been greatly exaggerated. We're still here. As most of you know, I'm down in Cheyenne, a freshman legislator at the Wyoming House of Representatives. And you hear often down here that you know your first time around is like drinking from a fire hose. And I tell you, they're not kidding. It has been very time-consuming and yet very rewarding. 
running a number of bills of interest that we'll be talking about in subsequent shows. One of them, though, is called the Wyoming Sovereignty Act, and this is basically what is commonly called a nullification bill. It seeks to restrain the federal government to its own enumerated powers, and those powers that are left to the states should be left to the states. It is designed to combat federal overreach. This is something that I ran on both times that I ran and something that I'm quite serious about. It is also something that can be pretty complex and meets a lot of resistance, even down here in Cheyenne. So for a little bit of help, I went to an old friend. His name is G.R. Mobley. G.R. runs a website that I would invite you to look at. It's called MobiusStripPress.com. That's M-O-B-I-U-S. S-T-R-I-P-P-R-E-S-S, all one word, MobiusStripPress.com. I would invite you to go there and look through that website. I think you'll find a lot of very interesting information. Certainly it's, it's some heady stuff. I had a phone conversation with him, and whenever you talk to GR, you might as well just sit back. So I cut out some of what he said on that phone conversation, wanted to share it with you, and just give you some idea of what we're dealing with when you, when you talk to him. So here is part of my conversation with G.R. Mobley. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so the annotated constitution is the constitution that the federal government uses formally. It is their constitution, and it is a... Uh, almost a 4,000-page document. It basically uh, injects case law and how the federal government has made determinations on what is constitutional and what isn't constitutional and how they will enforce the Constitution. Now, near as I can tell, there's never been an amendment to allow the federal government to basically create and pervert and subvert the constitution with such a you know an abominable document but somehow they have done it and they've created this thing and so when you walk into or when you deal with the federal government and they talk well that's not constitutional this is what's constitutional they're they're not referring to the constitution the or what i would call the organic constitution most people kind of look what what the original constitution that was ratified by the 13 states. And so right. I, I I harp on this a lot, that if the states are going to create a level playing field, they have to definitize the constitution. The if, if you really think about it, and if you understand, you know, how religion has kind of you know, morphed. And, you know, if you look at the Bible today, how many different Bibles are there and how many different interpretations of the Bible are there and so forth. And so that's why a lot of people say you got to get back to the original text of what those words really stated. So that fundamentally, our government has done exactly what a lot of religious, I'll say nefarious religious people have done by taking full control over what those words say and using them for their own advantage, almost like the, the traditional or the, the Catholic Church of old. Mm-hmm. 
where the, you know, and if you understand Martin Luther and the 95 theses yep. and how he, he basically identified 95 things that the Catholic church was doing that did not jive with the scriptures. And, right. and so what we have to do as, as the states, the states have to go, you know what, we, we never authorized you to have your own constitution and to interpret it that way. That is our contract because the states are the parties to it. They're the ones that created it, and that compact created the federal government. It is up to the states to determine what that stuff is. So there's some documents that I'd love you to read and get you really smart on this. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. If you're not, this is when the federal government violated the Constitution with the Alien and Sedition Acts in 1798. And Thomas Jefferson wrote the Kentucky Resolutions, and James Madison wrote the Virginia Resolutions in kind to basically respond to what Jefferson stated. And then the rest of the states rejected what they were supposed to do. But this is where these two men make the academic argument that only the states can determine when it comes down to something that is not in that contract or something that has been specified in that contract, and the states determine that the federal government has violated that contract as specified, then it is up to the states to enforce that. And so the, the, a lot of people use the term nullification, that the states have to nullify. That is incorrect. Right. That what the states have to do is they have to interpose. And so I've got a lot of documents that really go through how nullification, a single state nullification is an abomination in our union. Because if you, if you think about it, the 50 states are married together on the principles of the Constitution, when one state decides, I'm not going to abide by this, like if the southern states started to use slavery again, because they're just going to ignore that. And northern states decide that they're going to ignore this part of the Constitution. And, and other parts of the states, you know, they decide what they want to cherry pick and what they want to follow of the federal government or not. That creates chaos. And it doesn't, it doesn't create the harmony and it loses the spirit. It's basically, it completely destroys our constitutional republic. And that's where we are today because the states are trying to go down those types of paths. And we have to Correct. we have to get back onto what the Constitution says and what the federal government can do based on that Constitution and force them back into that box. And this the states have all the power to do this. We only need a majority of the states. We don't need two thirds. We don't need three fourths. We only need a majority of the states to demand full compliance to the Constitution. When you start to realize all of the things that are in the Constitution, I believe this is when you start to see our creator's DNA in this document. Because the 14th Amendment, which a lot of people say a lot of disparaging things about, the 14th Amendment has been truly the, the final piece to the, to the puzzle to give us all the teeth necessary to force the federal government into compliance.
this is one of the reasons why everybody kind of you know calls and refers to the 14th amendment as that bastard stepchild the liberals right. that don't like parts of it and the conservatives <clears throat> don't like parts of it but anybody that looks at that that 14th amendment and they look at how it was debated in congress Every assertion from the liberals and the conservatives have no standing. They have no ground. They, what they're basically saying is not within that document. It's not there. What that document does do is it refutes the perversions that have been created by both sides of the problem. Because technically, and, and I don't know where you stand on this, but technically one of the greatest problems that this country has in its, you know, in its misguidings or how we've been led down this this wrong path has come from the parties. And so Makes if sense. you if you didn't know, we see we're supposed to have a republican form of government, right? And if you followed what happened in Congress uh, over the leadership and committees, a republican form of government is representative of the people. So where in the constitution does it say that the party can control all of the committees that the, that Congress is going to have. Where does where does it say that, hey, if you have a majority in the party, you can seize full control of, over government? In other words, that makes it, we have a, a party form of government, not a Republican form of government. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it so, makes absolute sense, and that's what we're in trouble Monday. We're going to have a vote on the rules, and that's kind of, that whole thing's an abomination of, of what it ought to be. Right. And so if you if you really look and the smart the, the smart person would probably stand up on the floor and say, you know, near as I can tell we're supposed to have a republican form of government and it seems like we have a party form of government or an alliance or a factional form of government where enough people politically can get together and decide to turn their back on the constitution and do whatever they want. And near as I can tell, that is unconstitutional. And everybody that took an oath to office that is standing in this room today has just violated their oath by not supporting the Constitution and supporting factional government. Back to yeah. back to this party form of government. When we look at the constitutional process of how we're supposed to choose our, our president, we the people are to choose our electors. In the original process of choosing the electors, all the electors were chosen by the people, except for two, the Senate um, of the or the state house, excuse me, the state house chose the two that represented the Senate. So like in Virginia, the people of the legislative districts voted for their elector, and then their elector casted the ballot to elect the president. That's the process. We're not supposed to have direct elections. But when we look at how we do it today, we don't even choose our electors. Who chooses the electors? The party. Right. The party and the convention votes for who the electors will be. And near as I can tell, that's not in the Constitution, nor are primaries be able to whittle down who the candidates can be and who the can the eligible candidates that can be considered for president can be done by the party. Near as I can tell, that's unconstitutional as well. Near as I can tell, the concept of uh, the party or winner take all regarding the party and taking all of the electors is not only uh, you know not within the electoral college clause. It's repugnant to Republican form of government because 
if a legislative district chooses a particular elector or a particular way, let's say they go Republican, then how is it that that is that the Democratic representation is forced upon that legislative district? I mean, if you if we start examining how the party has co-opted full control over our government, now we start unveiling, you know, one of the the puppet masters that's back behind that stage of, you know, playing this big elaborate game of politics here in America. And they're not the only ones because it's corporations, banks, and a lot of other players back there that are pulling all the strings. And and, and I know you know these things, but um, the constitutional context to all of this is we they don't have any authority to do this. The the party, you know, basically assumed this control. And we don't have a government that allows parties to basically compromise to say, okay, we're going to create a health care system. No. They have to amend the Constitution to create a health care system. So one of the things that, because we've never talked before, and I'm fire hosing you, right? I feel, I feel, I feel like <laughs> well, I we do. Have, we have spoken. We have spoken once, so it's not the first time I've been. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a long blasted. time ago. That's right. That's right. Yes, it was. It was actually yep. after the last election, and I, I, I encouraged you to run again. And so that's right. Yep. Thank you. (laughs) And so I'm glad you did. But I have a video out and I have a couple of videos out. One video basically says that everybody in Congress must be removed because just because of the border crisis that they're claiming is an immigration border crisis, when in fact, constitutionally, it is an invasion. And the Constitution requires, the language of the Constitution requires that if we are under an invasion, the invaders must be repelled. It doesn't say to stop, to, you know, to, uh, you know, let them stay in place, hunker in place and become citizens or process them to become citizens. It says they must be repelled. Congress shall have the power to call forth the militia, to execute the laws of the union, to suppress insurrections and repel invasions. And in Article 4, Section 4, it says that the United States guarantees to each state in the Union a Republican form of government and shall protect each from an invasion. And so when we this video, it's about seven minutes long, and it proves how every member of Congress, because they've never called forth the militia to repel this invasion and to begin the initiation of repelling, They've they have failed to do their job. They have failed to fulfill their oath of office and they all must be removed and or at least stop this invasion now and start following the Constitution. Um, I I don't like scorched earth mentalities, but, you know, sometimes you have to be really bold and strong and basically, you know, kind of backslap some people and, you know, get them to realize, hey, you you know, you're way off base here. And if you don't get in line, you know, you're going to be out in the cold. The other video I have that you really should probably want to watch is the three presidential vetoes of the Department of Transportation, because when it comes down to the executive departments that have been created since the beginning, since the Department of Treasury, the uh, the Department of State and the War Department, all other departments are unconstitutional. And the, the three presidential vetoes of the Department of Transportation proves this because you have to amend the Constitution to exercise any powers that are not within the Constitution. This is the, the three presidents that vetoed attempts, congressional attempts to create footings for the Department of Transportation was James Madison, 
James Monroe and the first Democratic president, Andrew Jackson, all three stated that the power does not exist within the Constitution to have that power, to create that department or to have those footings of power. And so um, when you really look at what they said and how they said it, and James Monroe, actually, the way he did it, he 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 pointed to the six justifications like post roads and all these other things. And he said, even if you combined all of them, the power still does not exist for the federal government to maintain, to improve and to, you know, to create highway systems and waterway systems within the United States. And so. This is how far we've gone. And that was the very first, you know, direct attempt of a usurpation. By the time they created the Home Department, which should really resonate in Wyoming, the Home Department is what we call the Department of Interior today. And in, 18, okay. in 1849, when they created the Department of Interior, if we look at the claims of the United States over its land, we were pretty much coast to coast. There was just small little strips, I think New Mexico and Arizona, possibly, maybe California. And we're talking about small little strips that weren't a part of the contiguous United States that we have today. So why is it that in 1849 they created this permanent department when we were about to sunset the need for acquiring land? Ah, because they'd been doing it for so long that there were so many people doing working in the interior in, in helping this land turn into states that they said, you know what? It just seems unfair that we have to lay all these people off. So now we're going to create this permanent department. And then what they started doing is they started, and I proved this, and I, and I can walk you through how to do this, because all you got to do is go through the enabling acts. But <clears throat> when you... When you look at the um, the enabling acts and you look at Article 4, I think it's uh, Section 3, where it talks about the United States shall, um, or Congress shall have the power to admit new states or actually shall admit new states into the union. It's not a power. In other words, when you read this part of the Constitution, this is a role and responsibility, but not a power. They don't have the power to dictate what that state is going to do. They can't make that state slave. They have no ability to create a what they call a self-destiny. In other words, your destiny is to be a slave state. Does that make sense? And so when you look at where they start talking about Congress shall have the power, it's after they talk about the responsibility. And then associated to the responsibility is the power to regulate and dispose of the land. But that's only when it becomes a state is when they dispose of that land. Or if they choose to, if it's a territory and they choose to trade it to, to Mexico for another chunk of land or something like that, then they do have that power. But once it becomes a sovereign state, it's over, it's done. That state now rises above superiority over the federal government. The federal government is a service agency that's supposed to only do these very specific things. And so the, as the states came into the union, they were all to have this, this doctrine called equal footing was used in the very first enabling acts when they brought in Kentucky and I think it was New Hampshire and Tennessee and all these new states. They all said that you're coming in with exact equal footing. 
Well, down the road, by the time the Missouri Compromise started, this is when they started actually taking away the equal footing and saying, okay, any state that happens to form south of this latitude on the globe, that's going to be a slave state. Well, they, where's that power? That was all proven later on to be an unconstitutional assertion that they don't have anywhere in the art, in Article 4 any authority to withhold any land when they create a state. That is all state property. The only, As a matter of fact, one of the things that I try to help people, and I've got some good articles that you probably want to read, the jurisdiction, the jurisdiction of property is limited to enumerated properties. In other words, the Constitution that we have and the way it was described during the ratification debates is enumerated. In other words, the Constitution lists the roles that the federal government is supposed to have. It lists the responsibilities it's supposed to have. It lists the powers that it is supposed to have. It lists the property that it is supposed to have, such as magazines, forts, shipyards, and, and territories. In an ambiguous way, they're supposed to manage territories as they transition them into states. When you read the essence and when you read the ratification debates, every everyone in the ratification debates looked at the federal government as a steward in, you know, basically preparing and maturing territories to become states. Never. And as a matter of fact, this came out very specifically in the Virginia ratification debates that the federal government was not to own any land that was not enumerated. In other words, they couldn't own anything other than those needful buildings, those shipyards, those magazines and those forts and those types of things. That's it. Because if they could own forests, if they could own the land, then they can start seizing control and power over the people. This also helped people understand this concept of a standing army. Because one of the things that came into this whole, you know, possession of land, the militias, standing army and everything else, when they talked about standing army, it had nothing to do with the military. It had everything to do with enforcement of the law. And it had everything to do with the king being able to keep the people off of his land and to be able. And that's why when they say a standing army is the greatest mischief, they were literally talking about the federal government or the central government, the king, to be able to enforce any arbitrary law he wants, which is why they pinned it in that the only execution or the only enforcement of the law was to be done by the militia. In other words, it was one of these checks and balances that they placed that we, the people, had the ultimate check on the federal government. That if they created a law, we would have to enforce it. And if we felt that that law was oppressive or unconstitutional, we wouldn't enforce it. It was this, this beautiful thing that they did. And actually, this goes back to the Lord's DNA. I mean, here we can see how he's created so many things to help us protect ourselves from a tyrannical government as long as we stayed vigilant to the spirit of the Constitution. You brought us full circle back to where we started. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you that that was recorded as well. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, it, and, and you know what? But the, once you start reading these things, and, and I these are academic articles, so you don't you may not want to be faint of heart or you know tired at the end of the day to read these things because sometimes they're very heady and they're hard for people to you know sit down and just yeah. read. You don't you know. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine said, you know, I I can't read your stuff when when I have time to read it because it's usually at the end of the day and that's usually when I'm having a cocktail and my head starts spinning <laughs> and I can't keep track. You know, one of my favorite preachers of all time was Alexander Campbell. 
I have some of his writings, things like that, and just the vocabulary that he used is challenging to today. Yes. Because he, <laughs> he's very, very specific in what words mean, and he uses them very precisely. The thought patterns that he uses, it's, it's different thought patterns. It's much more complex. It's like the difference between playing a three-chord hymn and some great masterful Yeah, 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 composition. yeah. I, I get it, yes. Um, right. Very, very different. 